wanna be a starving artist. I don't wanna be a starving artist. I just want to find a way to live. Hello to my fellow artists on a mission. I'm Anna Eastley, and this is the very last episode of the first season of Starving Artist, the podcast home of honest conversations about art and money. The first season of Starving Artists has taken about 18 months of increased blood, sweat, and tears from yours truly. And so for this very last episode, I wanted to take the opportunity to have a look at what the fuck just happened, how I've changed as a result of this project, and what I've learned. And before we get started, this season I've teamed up with Etsy, the online marketplace where you can set up a store and sell your own artwork as well as buy unique handmade goods from anyone in the world. And over the last month or so, I've been trying my hand at starting my own Etsy store. This week is the week where I really found some success on there and made most of my month's rent from my Etsy store. If you want to hear more about how I paid my rent in mugs about Beyonce, listen in to the end of this episode. And if you want to start your own store, there's a unique code for Starving Artist listeners so you can get your first listings free. Just head to starvingartistpodcast.com forward slash Etsy for all the details. Now let's get into it. So this final recap episode has been one of the hardest to put together, which makes sense seeing as how I'm trying to narrow down 18 months of epiphanies into one tidy episode. In an effort to do this, my first stop was a deep and meaningful conversation with my twin sister, Amy which yielded gems such as this clip. So we used to have a more tense relationship and I don't know if this is true, but I definitely had the idea that you thought that I was a bit of a chaotic, sort of a mess, like a bit like of a shambles. (laughs) Well, I just wanted you to answer my phone calls or reply to any of my texts or emails. (laughs) So not all related to this project, but a transformative conversation nonetheless. You'll hear some more tiny bits and pieces of that conversation throughout this episode, but unlike most episodes of Starving Artist, which is usually me interviewing someone else, mostly this episode is me telling you why I did this project in the first place and then the three big things I've learned because of it. This podcast has been in my life for the past 18 months and has been my life for the past 10 But this subject, this question of how the hell to make the art money equation work, well, this subject has been plaguing me (laughs) for the past seven years. I've talked a lot online about my experiences of messy life shit, of losing my mind and finding it again, but I haven't really talked about what's often been going on for me in those moments. And oh, so much of it has to do with this art money question. At its core, it's firstly an existential question. It's what should I be doing with my life? And when I'm struggling with that question, when I'm feeling at a loss, confused, bereft, usually that brings on another question that magnifies the situation. How am I going to make money so I can look after myself? It's this combo that for me is the perfect storm of existential angst meets financial anxiety. It's a recipe for lots of crying, 
wishing I were dead and generally just feeling fucking trapped. It's also where this podcast came from. (sighs) There's this quote from Miranda July, who's one of my favorite artists, where she says, all I ever really want to know is how other people are making it through life. Where do they put their body hour by hour and how do they cope inside of it? Back when I turned 25 was when I started seeing all these people from high school doing very adult things like buying houses or having babies or getting admitted to the bar or becoming proper doctors who are in charge of the life of other humans. And there I am sitting at home trying to find the weirdest, strangest pawn to play at this weird sex game show I've created that consistently sells out shows but only manages to make $70. I don't think anyone goes into an artistic career for the money, but I also don't think anyone goes into an artistic career thinking that they will work as hard as they possibly can, find success, only to find that they are still massively struggling for money. (sighs) I was terrified of this art money question topic. And to give you an idea of just how terrified, here's a clip of me and my sister. So I wanted to take you back to another memory that you may not Oh my gosh. What is it? (laughs) Give me a worst. Remember this one particular time where we were at your house and people were coming over for dinner and then you started talking about shares? (laughs) Oh my... (laughs) You started talking about some conversation. I probably asked something like, what are they? No, no. You were like some way more boss like <laughs> thing that you were saying about how clearly you have your shit together way more than me. No, what it is, is you asked me how much savings I had. What? Yeah, something like that. Why did I ask that? I think you told me how much savings you had and then you like were like just sort of casually asking me. <laughs> and I was like, you don't understand. what an idiot (laughs) anyway i lost my shit it was the first time that i was like i'm actually really sensitive about this topic right now and i cannot talk about it (laughs) so did you just leave yeah i left did i notice i was probably like huh see ya no you were very you were very nice about it you were like oh i'm sorry well i hope you're okay that sounds like me yeah yeah (laughs) see (laughs) fucking chiller So you can understand why this project was a genuine attempt to answer my own questions, to figure out how the fuck people are making it work, because I sure as hell didn't know. Reasonably regularly, I get emails from you guys that say something to the effect of, I have been losing my shit about this art money equation and listening to your podcast has made me feel like I'm not alone, like I'm not fucking things up terribly. The funny thing is, I feel that way too sometimes, still. So at the end of the first season and all the personal revelations and nightmares that have come with it, I still don't have the answer on how to make the art money thing work. But I do have some answers and I want to share three of the big things I've learned with you now. Number one, and probably this is the most important one to take away from this, It is impossible to know what someone's financial situation is like from what you see of them. 
be that their social media or what festivals they're speaking at or all the fancy shit that's in their bio. Or, as my sister says, I think what you mean is when you look at someone, don't take anything at face value and just ask questions. As an example, Iggy Azalea, the Australian rapper, she ended up paying $300,000 out of her own pocket so that she could support Beyonce on her Australian tour in 2013. Out of her own pocket? Ah! She said that was maybe not the best financial decision afterwards. I've spoken to multiple people who've made hundreds of thousands of dollars on Kickstarter each, only to end up seriously in the red. For me, I know I've spent a hell of a long time looking at what other people do and thinking, oh cool, they're doing that thing, and that thing looks like a job that you would get paid for, so that must be a job that you definitely get paid for and definitely exists. You have no assurance that that is true. That is not a good way to make career decisions. Trust me, I know. On the other hand, there's all these other ways that people could be making money that's also really hard to know from what you see of them. If you have an online store, it's pretty difficult unless you know the ins and outs of that platform to have any idea about how much someone is making from it. Or maybe someone does a creative project for free as a way of advertising their other services, like writing. The thing is, nobody knows where the mythical success beast really is unless you really get up in someone's grill about it. And this all brings me to point number two. In any profession, people have to act like they are totally making it, even if they aren't. A few months ago, a lovely Amelia on Twitter sparked this conversation about day job transparency. Much like wage transparency, which I talked about with Wendy Seifert in episode two, Day job transparency is basically this idea that maybe as creatives, we should be more transparent about our day job if we have one. I've since fully taken this idea on board. And so now when I do talks or workshops or panels, I'll start out by introducing myself and mentioning what my day job is. At a conference I did recently, someone came up to me afterwards and told me that they really dug the day job transparency idea that they were an author and that they often did talks at schools or universities about being an author but that being an author really doesn't make that much money for them. So they've always felt bad (laughs) doing these talks like they were leading students on when they talked about being a professional author. Wow, what a recipe for a culture of unrealistic expectations and private shame. Here's the thing, very few people are making it in the creative pursuits. It's different depending on if you're in graphic design versus contemporary sculpture, of course, but the main thing is it's fucking unlikely you'll be making a living from your art. The Australian median wage for a professional artist in Australia is $7,000 a year. For people who work on their practice full-time, the median amount is $22,500 per year, all of which is like well below the poverty line in Australia. But everyone's hiding their day job shame, and I think that that makes us all worse off. One of the best conversations to come out of the starving artist's social media was the one about day job transparency. Back then, all y'all got on board and told each other what you did, and the coolest thing that came out of that was actually seeing you guys talking to each other. 
discussing pros and cons, sharing condolences and internet hugs and pro tips and successes. When we pretend our success, we miss out on the opportunity to connect with others over the shit that is hard. Now, I'm not saying go out and tell everyone your whole financial trials and tribulations. And I understand that from a business standpoint, most people can't just reveal that they are in the red and expect to still have customers. But creative careers are fucking hard and you need a place where you can be honest about your shit. And of course, if you want somewhere to start, starting all your talks with some day job transparency of your own, fuck yes, go for it. I implore you. (sighs) Wow, that was a long point. I think I started sounding a little bit like a political campaign for a minute there. Okay, third and final point, sort of, mostly. Number three. This is a realization that I've actually come across in my own work that's been quite difficult to deal with. Again, I made this podcast thinking naively that I would find the answer, crack the code. And I did crack some codes, but some of them were answers that I didn't necessarily want to find. One thing I've gotten a lot better at over the past year is negotiating. Negotiating over money has never been my strong suit. In fact, it was something that I actively avoided. But it's also something that I've gotten a hell of a lot better at. As you can see by the print that I made for my Etsy store that shows the first email that I ever sent asking to be paid for my creative work versus the most recent one that I'd sent. The emails are really different, both in how long they took to write, how direct they are, how long they are. That change has happened behind closed doors and through a lot of mock negotiation conversations with my boyfriend through the wall. (laughs) as well as carefully crafted emails and lots of tears. Two things on negotiating. One, negotiation at first is awkward and ugly, and you maybe won't get anywhere, (laughs) but you will get practice. And looking back, I've definitely gotten farther, but it certainly wasn't comfortable. Two, there is no bad guy. Okay, so maybe there are some bad guys, but the people you are negotiating with are very unlikely to be the actual bad guy. A few months ago in my negotiating prime, I had a rude awakening. I had all these offers of work, but no one actually wanted to like pay me for my time that much. It was really fucking depressing. I'd put so much time and energy into this podcast and people were saying, oh my God, what you've done is really great, super valuable. And while some gigs did pay me well, the vast majority of organizations still couldn't value that value with a sustainable amount of cash. (sighs) And that's where I had a big realization. It's not just a case of learning to ask for money. It's also a structural problem. Andrew Simonette puts this wonderfully in his book, Making Your Life as an Artist. He says that often arts organizations want to achieve a huge amount of things, but they have such a small amount of money. And they're often asking artists to make up that difference by working at rates that aren't sustainable. And the thing that I realized after that was that often these organizations or bodies or initiatives, they're actually assessed on their output. And to receive funding, they have to show that they give a good return on investment. 
So of course they want to show that they can do all the things because they need to show that they will add more cultural value than the next organization. These people aren't bad. They're just trying to work the system just as much as you are. This is a good thing to remember. 95% of the time, people aren't trying to fuck you over. They're stuck in a system that doesn't work how they want it to either. Part of how this has changed what I say yes to is I've realized that if I'm going to work for free or for not much money, I'm going to put that energy into things that actively benefit my work. For instance, I could spend three days putting together a talk for a conference Or I could spend those three days crafting an article that would quite possibly see a whole lot more people than that one talk. So there will still be times that I work for free. I still do a lot of work for free, but you can bet that there will be some kind of compelling benefit to my work or what I'm trying to achieve. And the last thing I'll say in negotiating, it's good for your finances, but it's also good for your emotional well-being. It forces you to do the sometimes hard task of seeing value in what you do and learning to back yourself on that value. There is lots more that I could say about what I've learned throughout this project, about how wanting to own a home doesn't make your art worse or how you still can't pay rent in cool opportunities or knowing awesome people, which I still manage to forget. But there's a bigger, harder truth to swallow. There is no dream job. And I don't mean give up on your dreams. All I mean is that every job has bits that are shit. Every amazing thing has not amazing things. Making something you love, something you do for money fundamentally changes it. Yes, it still means we are lucky to pursue it. Being able to pursue it is a luxury. Or as Mark Manson says, meaning is a luxury. And maybe I have been reading too much Mark Manson this week, but maybe those ideas aren't actually depressing. Maybe they're freeing. What I like about this subject of art and money is that it very quickly stops being about money and starts being about how to live a good life. There is no one answer because it's all about priorities. It's all about what is important to you, what you value, and what makes a good life in your opinion. (sighs) So right now, after this episode, I'm taking a break and I'm not making any big decisions until I've dozed in the sun for a couple of Sundays. To everyone who has commented, private messaged me, emailed me, spilled their beans, or told me that this thing that I have gone and done is meaningful to them, you make this all happen. So from the bottom of my bottomless artist heart, Thank you. And if this whole parade has meant something to you, if it's helped you negotiate a raise or sort out your tax or realize that you are absolutely not alone, here is how you can help me. 
I am not shitting you when I say that this podcast could not have happened without all the amazing people who support me on Patreon. I couldn't have done this without them. And I definitely can't do a season two without more support. At the moment, I have more interviews on my hard drive already with some people that I was seriously shitting myself to interview, including Megan Tan, who's the creator of the hugely successful podcast Millennial, and Mark Manson, who I quoted earlier, the internationally successful blogger and author of The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck that sold over one and a half million copies. I know that these would make awesome episodes, but it's not going to happen without your help. So if you want those episodes to see the light of day, head over to patreon.com forward slash Anna Eastley. Also, I want to make sure that if I do do this again, I know what to do and how. So I'm currently doing a listener survey. It won't take you that long, but it would be a huge, huge help to me. And one lucky person who fills out the survey will be getting one of everything from my Etsy store. That means the Beyonce mug and also the print of my first and most recent emails asking for money and other stuff. Head to starvingartistpodcast.com forward slash survey to be in it to win it. Now, speaking of my Etsy store, we have the last installment of Honor Easley tries Etsy. This week was pretty successful. I did a little experiment with my Etsy store by making my very first starving artist merch type thing. The story begins with the episode of Being Honest With My Ex that I put up on this feed a couple of weeks ago where I say this. That's why I hate those mugs going around that say you have the same amount of hours in the day as Beyonce. You do not have the same amount of hours in the day as Beyonce. Beyonce probably has like at least 100 people working for her. Beyonce has literally 100 times the amount of hours in the day as you do. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking she sounds real funny and smart. Now, I put that quote up on social media and people shared it a lot, like way more than any other quote from Starving Artist. So I figured I'd do an experiment and put together a mock-up of this quote about Beyonce mugs onto a mug that people could actually buy. I told Peter, who's the other host of Being Honest With My Ex, about it, and he asked how much I'd made of this Beyonce mug. So I turned on the microphone. What did you just ask me? Uh, So you've sold this mug (laughs) with a quote from the podcast that I am half of. (laughs) My question is, how much is my cut? (laughs) How much, how much of this mug profit do I get? No dollars. <laughs> no dollars. But how much did you make? Well, so I wanted to show you. So I got this email this morning. Check it out. $500 from mugs? That's amazing. Yeah. I don't think I've ever sold $500 worth of anything. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I'm like, hey, I need an Etsy store. <laughs> <laughs> what would you sell on your Etsy I'm store? I'm like, maybe I'll take uh, other quotes from the podcast that I'm half of and put them on mugs. And <laughs> Yeah, you could do that. Yeah. Are you impressed by me? This is crazy. Yeah, this is really good. You can literally pay more than half your rent with this. Yeah. Maybe make two mugs next time and then that's your whole rent covered. I can't tell if it's obvious or whether I've managed to keep my shameful secret shameful and secret, but I am a secret numbers nerd. 
And when you get into the back end of Etsy, there's heaps of data that's really useful to guide you around what to make and how you might want to tell people about that thing. For instance, for me, I was really surprised that more people came from Facebook to my Etsy store than from Instagram, even though Instagram is way more my stumping ground and and my vice. (laughs) And also the response versus the orders that I received made me realize that there's probably people out there who are into that Beyonce mug, but maybe the shipping price of the mug makes it too high, particularly if you're overseas, because then it's like, I think, $15. So I was like, ah, what if I make a print of that quote, which will be way cheaper for people who still want to put that quote on their wall, but the mug is a bit out of their price range, which is something that I have now done. And now you can buy that quote as a print. So this is the last episode of season one, which means it's also the end of my experiment in trying my hand at making an Etsy store. And at the end of all that, At the end of setting up a store, brainstorming products, making products, selling things, I've actually decided to keep it going. I actually wasn't sure that I would do that because it's work to maintain a store. But after this last experiment, it's made me realize how much the platform totally works for how I work. It means I can try just small things, get all that delicious data and experiment kind of over time. I think moving forward, It'll be a great little internet home for my burgeoning little collection of things that I make that are, as my store bio says, for people with feelings, just like me. So thanks for following me along in this little Etsy journey that I've been going on. And if you want to start your own store, you should get to it too sweet because Etsy have put together a unique code for starving artist listeners, but it will run out soon because we're at the end of the season. So if you want to get on it, head to starvingartistpodcast.com forward slash Etsy and all the details are there. For this last episode, I want to take a moment to thank all the people who have not properly been thanked. To Peter C. Hayward, who always gets a nod here at the end for his editing help, but who has also been my confidant, editorial advisor, worst enemy at times, (laughs) and most precious friend. Thank you for all the tireless hours you've put into editing out my ums and ahs and making me sound way smarter than I actually am. To my partner, Graham Panther, who's given me amazingly generous feedback on episodes and who's been the person who's been there when I've been curled up in a ball on the lounge room floor. To all the amazing guests who've given themselves and their stories and their beliefs and their anxieties to this show, There's a reason that this first season has been so successful and it's because of all the wisdom and parts of yourself that you've given. To all those at Etsy, particularly Susanna, who have taken a punt on the little podcast that could, it's been amazing to work with an organization that appreciates realness and sees that as valuable. Thank you. And to everyone else who's helped out, you know who you are. I appreciate your time and generosity and general awesomeness. Thank you. Starving Artist is produced in Melbourne, Australia. Editing help for this episode was provided by Peter C. Haywood. Thanks also to Lance Turnbull, who edited some of the earlier episodes. The theme music is by me. Starving Artist is made possible by all the people who support me on Patreon. Love and this has been one of the hardest things I've done, but also 
one of the most rewarding. It's been great getting to know you all. Hopefully there'll be a next time. Bye-bye.